All right, well, good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to Faith Church. My name is Matthew, one of the pastors here, whether you're online or in the room. Always a joy to gather together. If you have your Bibles, join me in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18, we're continuing this collection entitled The King Jesus Gospel. We're going to jump right in, and if you want to follow along uh, and you've got a digital device, you can scan a QR code that's on the screen. It'll take you to a spot where you could see the scriptures and take some notes. And when you're done, scroll down to the bottom and you can email the notes to yourself. Um, I'm going to encourage you, if you can, grab something to take notes with and commit to yourself this week to go back online, whether any place where you get your podcasts, go to YouTube, go anywhere you can. Go to our central hub and make a commitment to listen back to today's message. For the next couple of weeks, for sure, we're going to get into some very, very practical um, and very, very prominent subjects that you're going to want to not only take some notes on, but you're going to need to go back again because you're probably not going to catch everything the first time of what maybe God wants to say to your heart. And uh, I want to encourage you to make that commitment. Last week, we began studying in chapter 18, and we talked about how the family of God is the visible representation of the kingdom of God on the earth. That the family is a picture of what it looks like to be in the kingdom of God. And the family of God is this visible representation of the kingdom of God. And, And I want to talk today about a couple dynamics that occur in the family. Some dynamics that uh, require us to pursue relationships and a dynamic that requires us sometimes to make peace with people in a relationship. We're going to talk about these two dynamics today. Matthew 18, starting in verse 12, says this. If a a man has a hundred sheep and one of them kind of wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go out to search for the one that's lost? And if he finds it, I I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. Somebody say rejoice. Yeah, there you go. And in the same way, it is not my heavenly father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. Jesus is telling a parable to help us understand the Father's heart towards those of us who enter the kingdom of God. We said last week that when we enter the kingdom of God, we enter in as little children. That we come in like little children into the family of God. And there is this growing and discipleship and maturation process that God wants us to walk in and walk through. But we all come in the same way. We all come in as little children, as as these young ones that come in. And God is so committed to his family that he doesn't want any of those young in their faith. Any of us who are just growing and learning and starting to explore what that looks like. He he doesn't want any of us to be snatched away, taken away, doesn't want us to be led away, and he definitely doesn't want us just kind of lost and meandering and wondering. But the, the good news is that we need to understand that as followers of Jesus, as the people of God, let me say it this way, we are the sheep of his pasture, Scripture says. We we are, meh, sheep of his pasture. We all 
make a mess, and sometimes need cleaning up after. We all get stubborn and bullheaded and want to run our own way, and we need people to kind of correct us back to make sure we stay in the places where we need. We are the, the sheep of his pasture. One, one commentary uh, speaking of this passion says this, that this parable of the wandering sheep shows the pastoral concern of our Father in heaven for us, his little ones. And verse 10 shows that it was told as a model also for the concern we should also have for each other as little ones. The temptation to look down on less confident or less successful disciples and fellow believers and therefore to ignore their own pastoral needs shows and demonstrates an attitude that is out of tune with God's concern. We are the sheep of his pasture and as sheep, we are people who often need pursuing. We are people who need pursuing and we need to do the pursuing. There are people that need encouragement and drawn in and people that, that we look around and recognize, wait a second, this is somebody who's a part of our family, who's getting to know uh, us and, and I haven't seen them for a little while and I need to make sure that they're okay. I saw a concerned look on their face. I, I want to go and I want to make sure they're okay. That's something we all do as fellow believers in the family of God. Sometimes God puts somebody on your heart and you may have not seen them for a little while or maybe you've connected with them for a little while. They started going to, a, to the 1045 service instead of the 9 o'clock service and, and, and you haven't seen them for a little while and they're kind of just on your heart and mind. It is right for you to begin praying for them and to reach out to them. But can I just also say that if, if you're one of those who have kind of been drifting and adrift and you haven't been engaged or connected in the family of God and you're getting your feelings hurt because nobody's called you, nobody's checked up on you, nobody's come to your house and interrupted your life to sit on your couch for unwanted amounts of time, that you need to know where the pasture hasn't changed. And you can come back to the pasture yourself too. That sometimes what you need to do is actually reach out for help and not pout about not getting any help. We all, though, need to recognize that we are the sheep of his pasture. We are also ones caring for one another, and, and God is looking for us. And, and we can reach out to those not to interrogate them, where you been? What you been doing? Why haven't I seen you? What's wrong with you? You don't need to interrogate people. But you can express your loving heart for them. Hey, I, I just haven't seen you. I just, I miss you. How you doing? How can I pray for you? Can I speak blessing over you? Can I, can I encourage you? What, 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 what's something I can do to make your day better today? It's great to express your heart to people. I will often send messages to people who I've just, in my mind, they just come to my mind and heart, and I just send a message, connect with them. And never, never, please, 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 this is my one, one, but I hope everybody hears this and remembers it forever. Never am I trying to reach out to give somebody a guilt trip because they haven't attended church. Dear Lord. And I will often go out of my way to make sure they understand my heart towards them. Is, man, I just, I was really thinking about you, praying. How can I pray? 
That's part of my pastoral concern in our lives. It's, it's not a, let me Gestapo check up on you and I'm going to send my goons out to like hunt you down and like, that's not what it looks like because we all need pursuing at times. We all need pastoral care at times. Did you know, this is kind of a made up statistic, but I believe it to be true. Because uh, 78% of all statistics are made up. Uh, this is called intelligent humor. Some of you are catching on and some of you aren't quite there yet. Have another cup of coffee, get an extra hour of sleep again. We'll see. Come back and listen again. Hey, I really do believe that 90% of pastoral care is just having somebody present who cares. They don't have to have the title pastor, clergy, staff member. When you show up in someone's life and you care, you are demonstrating pastoral care. And we care one for another because we are the sheep of his pasture. And this parable is telling us all as people of God, the family of God, that we are coming to one another, pursuing one another, caring for one another. This is why we do things like connect groups here at Faith Church. So that in your group, that is the dominant place where you're going to find support and care when you need it. People who are going to know what's going on in your life, notice when you're missing. This is uh, small groups and these connect groups are one way we help a big church feel small. You don't need to know everybody. I have found that people who feel like they need to know everybody are just busy bodies. (laughs) Oh, I'm getting in trouble this morning. It's all right. We can all reconcile and come to the table of the Lord at the end. (laughs) You don't need to know everybody, but everybody needs to be known by somebody. But I don't want that person. I want so-and-so to know me instead because they feel they're more important. They're this. They're prestigious. I see them here. What are we doing? We're automatically creating a divisiveness in our own heart and mind that this passage is actually going out of its way to let you know that's the wrong attitude and heart to take. We are the people of God. We are the sheep of his pasture. We all need pastoral care from time to times. And that's why we have connect groups. That's why we do a a care and outreach team to help facilitate and be present in people's lives who maybe haven't connected in a a group yet. We have some structures and systems in place. People want to come. Hey, pastor, I need some care, some counseling. Can Can I meet with you? One of my first questions often is, who's your connect group leader? Go talk with them. Because they're better equipped to walk in life with you long term. That doesn't mean I won't meet. I meet with people all the time. My schedule is, is continually filling up meeting with. I enjoy one-on-ones and connecting with people, helping them help people take a next step. This is one of the things I love. I love being a pastor, but I also love pastoring people, not out of a title or a role or a responsibility, but because I'm a person of God. I'm part of the family of God. And it's something we do as the people of God. We care for one another. You know, today's a a special day for uh, Amber and I. Today, on this day, six years ago, we were installed here at Faith Church as the lead pastors at Faith Church. And uh, yeah, thank you. That's not what I was saying. We have no plans to go anywhere. This isn't like setting you up for something coming. There's no like punchline to that. Other than to say that it's been one of our greatest joys to lead you to learn how to pastor and care for the people around you as the family of God. It's been our joy and our privilege to help you realize that your mindset, it matters. 
Come on, that's what I'm talking about. It does, it matters. And your mindset as it relates to the people of God that you sit on the same row as you, that sit in the same section of you, it matters a great deal. And we all need pastoral care from time to time, but not only do we need pastoral care, we, we are the people of God and, 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 and there's this, this moment of recognizing that we also need pastures. Not, not pastors, but pastures. Places of refreshing. I think that one of the things that is deeply true of our hearts for you as an individual is that you would become a person that is life-giving. That you would become an oasis of God's love for the people around you. That you would become someone who recognizes that I can create an open space for people to find refreshing. That we can be open with other people. We don't have to be closed off in our lives. We don't need to be isolated in our lives. I, I, I am, I have, I've had a growing conviction over the last couple years that in order to be a part of the people of God, you need an individual commitment to the people of God, but it is not something that you do in isolation. And for too long, we've used the excuse that we are introverts, and what we really mean is we want to stay isolated. Being an introvert just simply means you need time alone in the open to recharge. Why do you need to recharge? So you can re-engage with people. And often what we do is we want to come in and sit by ourselves and not to know anybody. And the, the greeting time feels awkward because we're introverted and we don't know anybody and we don't know that we want to know anybody. We just kind of come in and come out, come in and come out. But we need to recognize that this space is a safe space. This space is a place for you to connect and grow and be a part of the family of God. That, that this is an open space of refreshing. And, and, and there's this element in this parable where Jesus is telling her, it says the, the sheep had kind of wandered away. They found themselves in isolation. They found themselves alone. They found themselves distancing from the family and from the fold. And Jesus goes and pursues them, and the shepherd goes and pursues them. And when the, when the one that had been isolated and on its own and wandering on its own comes back, they celebrate and throw a party. They rejoice. Friends, the, sam the family of God celebrates with people. We want to celebrate with people. But you know why a lot of people don't want to be celebrated when they've kind of wandered away and lived in isolation for so long? Because shame is controlling them. Shame happens in the shadows and in the secrets. Shame happens because we're trying to just stay secluded. And we never are included in that way. Shame is an interesting thing. Shame, shame keeps us away. Shame keeps us assuming things about other people. Shame um, speaks to us in so many ways. And the remedy to getting rid of the shame controlling you is actually to share. Okay. Okay. Look at 1 John 1, verse 6 and 7. It says this, so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God. Oh, yeah, I fellowship. I go to this church. I, I, I fellowship with these people. We're lying if we say we fellowship with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness because we're not practicing the truth. So the context of this is having good relationships. That's the context. But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin. 
There's this sense of when I share life with someone else, I'm then living in the light. But shame wants you to hide, hide in dark places, hide in silence, hide away, not, not come back. And, and, and it's an interesting thing, watching people return back to church after like years of lockdown and COVID and things and people just kind of fell out of the way. And, and it's like when, when you're pursuing somebody maybe who hasn't been to church for a while, who hasn't been engaged and they're on your heart, like often our response is we respond with like shame as if like something terrible has happened. If you want to remove shame, you need to share openly about some things. Shame only exists in places where we live in the shadow and we're holding on to a secret. So share. Communicate. Hey, yeah, no, you're totally right. I haven't been there. I haven't been connecting. I haven't been doing well. I haven't been this. Share openly. When you share openly, you're allowing other people to celebrate and be there with you. I'll say this. If if you ever find yourself kind of wandering in on the outside of the fold and ready to come back and you're not sure, like, what are people going to say? Are people going to, like, interrogate me? Or is it going to be, like, awful? Or, like, what, what hadn't, had, like, I'm just nervous going maybe for the first time or going for the first time in a long time. How do I do? How, how what, what? Why don't you just reach out to somebody and say, hey, I'm planning on coming. And they ought to celebrate. That's awesome. I can't wait to see you. What have you done? You've just stepped into the light instead of trying to hide and sneak your way back in. Come in open. And you don't live in shame no more. And can I tell you this? Uh, It is absolutely my conviction and practice as a leader with our leaders and our staff that we are not people who will throw shade or shame in your direction ever. And if I hear of it happening, they're not going to be around much longer. It's just not part of who we are. We are a life-giving people. We are the sheep of his pasture. We are pursuing relationships with other people. And we want to protect other people. We want to bring people in. We want to care for other people. And we want to celebrate when people take another step towards Jesus. Even if it's a step returning back to the fold where they've previously been away from the fold. This is our heart. This is the heart of Jesus. And this is why as the family of God, we celebrate people. We celebrate with people. We celebrate people's next steps in baptism. We celebrate when people sign up and go through growth track. We celebrate when people take a step to engage and know someone else. We, take, we celebrate when people return for a second time being in the church. We, we celebrate all sorts of things because I think the people of God need to be a party people. Like, heaven and eternity is not one long church service. Scripture talks about it being a feast. Come on. We're the choice cut of, of lamb and meat. Where it's a celebration and a party, where it's the good wine, not the cheap wine, where it's, it's the people of God celebrating and cheering and recognizing we get to be with God. It's like a wedding party, a wedding party that has good dancing and good food after, right? Like this is what it looks like to be the people of God. We need to be a little more life-giving. Come on. That's why I don't have a problem with people laughing and having a good time in church. Because if you're not having fun and you're not full of joy following Jesus, you're not following the real Jesus or you're doing it all wrong. 
We, are, we celebrate with people and celebrate people as the family of God. But oftentimes we don't celebrate because we've grown cynical. Sometimes we don't celebrate because there's internal conflict that we've never resolved. And we've been hurt by people in the church. We've been hurt by bad church experience. And we have a hard time celebrating and leaning in and connecting because we're just like, we're just triggered all the time. And that's not how God wants you to live. God wants you to live differently. It's true. I think sometimes people just find themselves because of life where they're just wandering away from the sheepfold. But sometimes people don't wander out of aimlessness or just a disconnection. Some people walk away because they've been wounded. They've been wounded by some rift in the family of God, some tear in the fracture of the family. And some of you can relate to this just because of your own natural family and the rifts and the reconciliation that's needed and the brokenness that is present and the awkwardness of, man, please don't let so-and-so show up to Thanksgiving. Please don't let so-and-so RSVP. Shoot, they're coming. <laughs> and your blood pressure starts to rise. And you're like, how do I get out of this? I need an excuse. I need an excuse. Does my boss need anybody to work extra hours? I will work extra hours. Let me find any reason, please, oh, Lord. Be because there's been a wound. And we don't know what to do with it. Jesus gives us some examples and some steps on how to find healing in the midst of conflict. What are we to do with that kind of conflict? Because uh, families sometimes experience conflict. Sometimes not all the people in the family get along. Because we're all imperfect people. People are messy. Sheep are really messy. And church people are equally messy. They just like to pretend like they're not. Jesus gives us some thoughts on this. And the passage continues in Matthew 15, starting, uh, Matthew 18, sorry, starting in verse 15. He says this, if another believer sins against you, go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses, bringing things back into the light, you have won that person back, the relationship has been saved. But if you are unsuccessful, then take one or two others with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. If the person still refuses to listen, then take your case to the church. Then he or she, if, then if he or she won't accept the church's decision, treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. I tell you the truth, whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will also be permitted in heaven. I tell you this, if... If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything that you would ask, man, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, 
I am there among them. Jesus is giving some instructions to his followers, not to society. He's talking about fellow believers, those in the family of God, not those who have friends outside of the family of God. He's talking about how we deal with stuff in the family of God. This is how the family of God deals with conflict. Because conflict is going to show up. And how do we deal with it in a healthy way? He gives us instructions to us followers on how to do that. Because here's the deal. Not only do we experience conflict, but as the family of God, we need to resolve conflict. We don't need to let it linger. We don't need to let it fester. We don't need to pretend that it's not there. N.T. Wright says this. Many of us prefer that the pr- pretend that there isn't a problem. We can, refuse the fa- we can refuse to face the facts. We can swallow our anger or resentment paper over the cracks and carry on as if everything is normal while seething with rage on the inside. Or we can simply avoid and ignore the person or group and pretend that they don't exist. That sometimes may be the only way, like a total stranger who offends you, for instance, or when you don't have a chance to talk to them and work it through, or maybe they've passed away or moved away. But usually ignoring it and pretending that it didn't happen is incredibly disastrous. Difficult conversations are a part of healthy relationships, friends. Having honest conversation is sometimes awkward, but always necessary. There is an element of understanding relationships, and often in relationships, we find ourselves with personal problems, problems that we're personally dealing with. Other people didn't experience this, but this was our experience, and it's a personal problem. We need to be able to find ways to resolve that conflict. But not only uh, is it that we have personal problems, sometimes we are the problem personally. If drama is always around your life, just drama, 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 man, all the drama, there's only one common denominator. In all of those dramas, it's you. <laughs> drama, I hate drama. Drama, it's, everything's so dramatic. Everything's drama here, drama there, and this friend, and this family, and this thing, and that thing. If drama's always around, it's always around you. And we have to learn to deal with that. We have to change. We need to recognize that. We need to repent from that. We need to grow up. Friends, being in the family doesn't mean that you're going to get your, your way all the time. Some of you need to stop being petty, stop being disgruntled, and stop being devices. Grow up and quit being childish. Some of us just need to hear some truth. Listen, the pettier you are, that does not make you more holy. Maybe more hated, but not more holy. You don't need to be petty. Don't let petty things bother you. I don't like that pastor doesn't dress up and wear a suit at church. 
I don't know why he wears sweatshirts to preach in. What's his problem? Uh, it just, you actually want to know there's reasons behind almost everything that I do. And I will be happy to sit down with you for three hours and tell you <laughs> pastorally and biblically why I do what I do. <laughs> you want to get petty? <laughs> Come on. You don't need to get petty. And if it's really bothering you, have a conversation. Some of us need to stop policing other people. You are not the spiritual police for other people's lives. Like they sinning, they saying this, they doing this. And if you find yourself on, the, on one end, this is going to get so, oh, Jesus, help me. Uh, some of you are like, yeah, tell them to quit being the police and get off my case. You probably need to be a little bit more petty about your own life. And you need to stop sowing to your carnal flesh and become a little bit more consecrated. And those of you that were like, yeah, tell them to stop sinning, pastor. That's right. Tell them to quit being carnal. You probably need to break some of your own rules, have some wine, and turn up the music and have a dance party in your own house. And get something that's stuck up out again and just start becoming a little more life-giving. Please don't elbow somebody right now. Just eyeballs. We're having a little bit of family conversation today. <laughs> Friends, reconciliation is what Jesus is trying to point us towards. And the family of God has to learn how to resolve conflict. And sometimes that starts with getting our heart right before God. Before we go and try and help someone else understand the sin that they committed against us that's hurt us so badly. And oftentimes I have found that when we reconcile correctly, it will create a closer bond than you had in the first place. Look at what scripture says about reconciliation. Romans 5.10, for since our friendship with God was restored by the death of his son, while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. Reconciliation cannot happen unless something within you dies. There's a death that's always required, a sacrifice that's required for reconciliation to occur in some way, shape, or form. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 and 19, this is the word of God. And all of this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this same wonderful ministry and message of reconciliation. Ephesians 4, 2 and 3. Always be humble and gentle. Whether you got an extra hour of sleep or you lost three hours of sleep. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourself united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. Binding yourself together. You can't live in autonomy and be a part of the kingdom of God. There is a togetherness that is manifesting the presence of God when we don't live by ourselves, but we live among the family and the people of God. 
there is a connectedness that is required to experience the consecrated nature of the presence of Jesus in our lives. Ephesians 4.32 says, Instead, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God, through Christ, has forgiven you. Now, next week, I'm going to take the whole message to talk on the subject of forgiveness. How do you do it? What is it? Why is it required? How do you do it when you don't feel it? How do you do it when it's been historically difficult and it's not one event but years of events? How do you walk in the forgiveness of God when you don't even feel forgiven by God yourself? We're going there next week. Forgiveness is a huge part of this reconciliation. And I'm not going to, I don't want to ignore that. I just want to set it aside for a minute because I want to give you a whole week just on that subject. Know that forgiveness is part of this equation. Ephesians 2 verse 16 says this, and that he might reconcile us both to God and in one body through the cross, thereby killing hostility. (laughs) You know those hostile feelings you feel towards someone else? that make you want to like leave and go somewhere else and hide, those hostile feelings that you feel that sometimes are occurred in relationships, that hostility. Did, did you know that one of the ways that we've had to be reconciled is the hostility that God had towards us while we were still in our sin? In fact, another word for hostility is this word opposed. James chapter 4 says that God opposes the proud. The people in their own pride and arrogance who are diminishing the pain, that didn't happen, it's not a big deal, whatever, I'm I'm not going to deal with it. People who want to pretend, it'll be fine, it'll be fine, we're just going to move on, we're just going to move on, it'll be fine, whatever. And people that are constantly petty and annoyed by everything, people that are unwilling to humble themselves and apologize when they've done wrong, people who are so prideful they can't even hear when someone else needs to come and be honest with them. Hostility. Opposition. Jesus came to remove that from our midst so that we can remove it from our relationships. The aim of having these conversations, of going to somebody personally, if that doesn't work, taking another with you to have this conversation, if that doesn't work, getting involved with the church and and having leaders in the church help to mediate a conversation, and, and if that doesn't work, there are steps that he says to take. But the goal in all of these difficult conversations and all of these hard conversations is to win our brother over with restoration, not to punish them. If somebody has done you wrong and your whole intent is to go and meet with them and gaslight them, don't go. Get your heart right first. You don't need to go gaslighting people. You don't need to take it to the public forum of Facebook and let the world know what they did and shout it from the rooftops and just gaslight them and tear them a new one and let them know how you feel. I'm going to be honest today, Pastor. I'm just going to let them know how I feel. Well, you might want to hold off for a minute. You need to come back and and come back to this. Listen, we want to confront and pursue relationships for reconciliation, not for condemnation. If you're going to have a conversation just to make someone feel bad, you're going into the conversation wrong and it's not going to produce the fruit that you want. 
But sometimes, not sometimes, always a conversation is really necessary if you're going to continue having a relationship with them. There, there are, uh, uh, let me give you three things, really practical, to help you reconcile conflict in your life. In the church, in business, these are principles that apply in our, in our society, in our world. Three things to help you understand conflict. It's really simple. Number one, close the gap. Number two, close the wound. And number three, close the chapter. Close the gap. The first gap you have to close is your mouth. Because you're going to want to talk about it to everyone rather than talk to them about it. And you need to close the gap of your mouth. You don't need to gossip. You need to gaslight them publicly. You need to close the gap in your mouth. Close your mouth. You need to close that gap. The other gap you need to close is your assumptions. Because when we've been hurt, the first thing we do is start assuming the worst about them. And your assumptions are in the way of finding peace with one another. Matthew chapter 5 verse 9 look at how Jesus says this he says blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called don't miss this the sons of God the hallmark of being in the family of God is that you know how to resolve conflict not ignore it being a part of the family of God looks like being willing to have a conversation with somebody and in that conversation find reconciliation and make peace. Friends, you cannot make peace if someone wants to make war. That's true. But you also cannot make peace if you are just assuming they want to make war either. And until you've had a conversation with them about their receptivity, quit assuming the worst about them. Close the gap on the expectation. Close the gap on the assumption. Actually have a conversation. And the last gap you have to close is your distance. Don't let a lot of time go by. And don't try to do it at a distance. Do it face-to-face. Don't do it over text. Do it face-to-face. Don't do it over email. Do it face-to-face. Close the gap on the distance. You have to close the gap. If you want to resolve conflict, we have to get good at closing the gap. Number two, we have to close the wound. Sometimes closing the wound requires, if we're the one being confronted, that we make reparations and we repair any way we need to. Sometimes closing the wound looks like just accepting responsibility for your part of it. Just accepting your, the responsibility. Accepting the pain that you caused. Accepting the damage. Accepting responsibility. You have to repair with some humility though too. You have to close the wound. Dr. Burns is a uh, counselor and a Christian. And he says this, when you're closing the wound and having conversations with somebody that you're in conflict with, You have to mean what you say. You have to say what you mean. And you can't be mean when you say it. Some humility involved to have a conversation. You have to close the gap, close the wound. And sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, you need to be able to close the chapter. If you're going to resolve the conflict, you have to be able to close the chapter. Closure doesn't always mean restoration to the same relationship status as was before. Jesus said, if you go and you are bringing a message to people and they are rejecting the message, before you leave that town, shake 
the dust off your feet. Sometimes closing the chapter means, and closing, getting closure just means you just have to shake off knowing I went to them, we closed the gap, and we talked. We talked about the wound. I've tried to, to get closure and, and get that right. But at the end of the day, we've gone through the steps. We've, we've gone to them personally. I've gone to them with other people. I'm not trying to gaslight. I'm really trying to find reconciliation, not bring condemnation to them. I'm not trying to point out their wrongs just to point out their wrongs so that I feel better about being right. I really want this to be fixed. I want, recon- I want the conflict over. I want, I want to clear the air. I want to get the wound cleaned out so that it can be healed by the Lord. And I want to do these things. And I'm trying to close the chapter, but sometimes you just have to shake it off and recognizing that closing the chapter just means hey we're done with this and I'm not opening that chapter up again sometimes going your separate ways amicably is the right thing to do because closure doesn't always look like restoration it can and hopefully it will But sometimes it doesn't. Paul and Barnabas had some conflict with each other in the early church in Acts, and they decided to go their separate ways. They did it amicably. They kept celebrating. They recognized they were in the same family, doing some different things. Sometimes you have to just go your separate ways. And the same is true within the family of God, within the people of God. Sometimes you just need to start going to another church. But you can't go to the other church just slipping out in secret. You actually need to leave a church well. Can can I just pastor you through the times when maybe your friends have to leave a church because you will never, ever feel like, oh, I got I to gotta get out of here. I mean, why would you leave such a good thing? You might have friends, though, one day that need to close the chapter within the, the family where they've been worshiping. Can I, can I just give you some real practical things? Number one, you have to communicate and pursue closure when you're closing a, a relationship off. Communicate. I, as a pastor, I much prefer when people invite me into the process rather than just inform me of a decision. But by all means, please at least inform us. You're not going to get shame and shade. We want you to go to an environment where you're going to flourish, wherever that is. That's our heart from day one, and it continues to be our heart and our posture as a leadership and a team here. When you leave, communicate for that closure. When you leave, make a commitment to not gossip. Philippians says, whatever thing is true, noble, praiseworthy, just think on these things. Philippians 4 talks about, uh, and that the peace of God will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. That whole section is a scripture and a section about reconciling relationships in the church. So whatever's true and nobody, if you can find common ground, if you can find something praiseworthy about the relationship, praiseworthy about the experience, praiseworthy about the house, just, just commit to only saying and talking about those things. That's the right way to do that, to, to close the chapter on any relationship. But even when you're leaving a church, you close the chapter that way. And then finally, you need to choose to bless generously. Generosity cleanses your palate from having a bad taste in your mouth. Generosity shows that your heart is pure towards that person in that relationship. 
When you have to find closure, when you have to close the door, when you have to close the chapter, do it in a way that blesses and is generous towards that person, towards that organization, towards those leaders, towards that relationship. Do it in a way that blesses. Be generous in that way because something good happens in your heart when you do that. Friends, the family of God has to come to a place where we know how to resolve conflict. And every week when we come to the table of the Lord, we come to the table to demonstrate this radical hospitality to people who are different than us. And we come to to celebrate the returning of those who are maybe coming to be reconciled with Jesus And we come and we celebrate at the table those whom we are in relationship with. This is why we come to the table when we come. Would you stand to your feet with me? Hey, friends and family, I hope today's message was life-giving for you. I want to ask you to take a next step and go ahead and click the subscribe button so you never miss another chance to have an encounter with God. And while you're at it, take another step and share it with a friend. Maybe post it on your social network or text a coworker the link. And when you do that, you are partnering and get to be a part of seeing faith come to life in them. Hey, if Faith Church has made an impact in your life, if these messages are helping you gain traction in your faith, would you consider partnering with us financially? When you do that, it helps us widen our reach so that more people can have an encounter with the real Jesus. You can find information and ways to give on our central hub, faithchurchks.org. If you live in the Southeast Kansas region, we'd love to see it in person at one of our Sunday services. You can find those times on our hub as well, faithchurchks.org. Hey, remember this, God is for you and we love you.